Hello and welcome to The Advice Show. I am New Model Advisor Editor Charles Wormsley and today I will be joined by a very special guest, Dimensional Fund Advisors Co-CEO Dave Butler. Very nice to meet you Dave. Great to meet you Charles, thank you. Uh, when I was researching uh, this interview, every profile began with the same detail about your life, which is that you were once a professional basketball player. Uh, I fear some of the fine details of that might be lost on our UK audience, um, but I was one detail did interest me before we start talking about financial planning. I noticed you did have a short stint in playing in Birmingham. How yes. was that for you? <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, very tail end of my career. So yeah. I, I played uh, college and university uh, in uh, the U.S. at uh, Cal, Berkeley, and then um, came uh, got drafted by the Boston Celtics. And they had a strike the year I came out, so I ended up uh, going right over to Europe to play my first year as a professional. I played a year in Istanbul, Turkey, and then I came back and, uh, well, tore up my, my calf a little bit, my, my gastroc muscle. Uh, so I ended up coming back to the U.S. Uh, that summer, went over and played a year in, in Tokyo, Japan, uh, and then came back and finished up my MBA uh, at Berkeley as well. And then my last kind of hint, my stint was uh, I wanted one last hurrah to see if I had had it in my in me to still play, and I end up over in Birmingham, mm -hmm. England, for about a uh, pretty short period of time, about three months. And my my Achilles and my ankle and so forth was really bothering me at that point. And um, I had interviewed with a, a big investment bank before I had left to go play in, in Birmingham, and that that bank had offered me a job in New York. And so I ended up um, uh, playing only about a half a year, uh, half a season in, in uh, Birmingham, and then moved back to New York to start my financial services career uh, in New York. So that was the, that was the, uh, the quick version of my basketball yeah. career, but then moved right into, uh, people ask, often ask me how long did it take to transition from sports to, to, uh, to business and to real life, and, and I always tell them it basically took about a weekend because I... <laughs> I had a phone call and got on a plane the next day and went to New York. And my younger brother, Greg, who's seven feet tall, he uh, was playing with the New York Knicks at the mm -hmm. time. And so I got in New York, borrowed a suit from him on uh, Sunday night, and I started my, uh, my job on Monday morning. It's, it's an interesting uh, career path, actually, that a few um, advisors I know uh, in our sort of UK community yeah. have taken as well, obviously, from sport like football or yeah. rugby, it's often... Yeah. Um, taken and they say something similar actually the transition isn't as big as you would think yeah. because uh, it's a lot of overlap and you're thinking about money as yeah. a, you know, when you're going through your career. Um, well I wondered if we could start with Dimensional on yep. um, the obvious thing for me is how tied up Dimensional is with financial planning and financial planning movement um, in particular that kind of looking a bit more at life planning and mm -hmm. very for, for want of a better phrase very kind of people who really believe in a particular philosophy. Yep. Why do you think that is? What is it about Dimensional that attracts the financial planners? Yeah, I think everybody wants to have an impact mm. uh, on their clients and, and, a, and a positive impact. And so when, you know, going back to when I uh, started my career at Dimensional, I was lucky enough to um, have been worked in, working three years at the investment bank and I saw an ad in the Wall Street Journal and, and went out to uh, Santa Monica to interview with Dimensional, and I hadn't really heard much of Dimensional at that time, and um, sat down with a gentleman named Dan Wheeler, who was the mm. person who started the advice business at, at Dimensional, and Dan really described this idea of what he called redefining investment advice, uh, and the environment at that time in the U.S. and pretty much everywhere in the world was it was high transaction, high commission, uh, tax inefficient, non-diversified, 
uh, kind of investing. Um, so with a lot of, a, you know, look into the crystal ball and we're going to find you a stock that's going to outperform or yes. we're going to tell you what, what direction inflation is going to go, that sort of thing. And so that was the definition of advice. And he uh, said that, you know, he wanted to step back and say, let's, let's redefine investment advice. What actually would be positive for an end client? How would it make their investment experience a great one? And some of the simple tenants, you know, that markets work, you know, diversification is your buddy, uh, cost matter, taxes, being efficient tax-wise, all that stuff really went into this idea of kind of redefining investment advice. So, uh, Dan, I was fortunate, and I, I think a lot of advisors through the years were fortunate to uh, see this new approach, an approach that was much more client-centric. It was much more about being a fiduciary to the client. Uh, as we used to say, sitting on the same t side of the table as the client. So rather than me selling you something as a transacting broker, I wanted to work with you uh, in conjunction with you to determine what made the most sense for you on the investment side and then progressively into your life, into your financial plans and so forth. And that whole experience was going to be much, much different uh, than what, you know, what I experienced in my early stages of my career and what most uh, brokers experienced at that time as, as well. So, uh, you know, those experiences were really about, you know, again, pitching something about the future, and oftentimes that, that pitch didn't work out. And then the advisor slash broker at the time would have to go back and say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for, you know, what I said was going to happen and didn't yeah. happen. And so this whole idea of not having to say you're sorry, we used to call it, the not, not having to say you're sorry approach to investing was really important. And do you think that revolution then has happened in the advice sector in the U.S.? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you look back, and so when I, when I uh, was uh, uh, in my early stages, you know, commissions were on the order of 10%. Wow, 10%. Um, yeah, because I, I looked at one, one uh, statement I had. I had a $10,000 investment. It was a $500 commission on that investment one way. Yeah. So round trip was about 10%. Uh, it was, again, transaction-oriented. It was really driven by the broker's need to make me transact as much as I possibly could so that they would, would make revenue off that transaction. Um, and that was the state of the, the uh, business at that time. And, and so I think this, this idea, this transition to a more client-centric approach built around independent advice, built around advice that was going to be a fee-based advice uh, that would be in the best interest of the client. Um, that was a pioneering uh, concept back in those days. It wasn't readily accepted because people would say, if you went down that, that approach as an advisor, you wouldn't make enough money to actually make it in the business. You would, you would, you'd, you'd starve. You'd, you'd have yeah. to go and be a transacting business. Um, and so in the early stages, there was a handful of advisors that decided that they, it was important enough to them that they wanted to go out and find a way that they could, you know, in essence, look in the mirror each morning and think that I'm doing the right thing for my clients. I have this great relationship with them. I'm impacting their lives in a very positive way. And that was the... Uh, that was the approach and, the, and the, the mission, if you will. And so I heard about that you know, 30 years ago, and I just thought that was the right way to go as a part of, of a mission that I wanted to be part of. And um, what we've seen over time is I think the client um, outcome has been terrific. Uh, the client experience has gotten much, much better. And why we see the success we've seen is because these clients who have had great experiences and successes have then referred their friends and their colleagues and so forth to these advisors who work in this manner. And those advisors' businesses have, have really uh, exploded and kind of really gotten much, much bigger. So uh, client success then translates to advisor business success, and that's what we've seen um, not only in the U.S., but now all around the globe. When you look at 
all the markets we play in, um, that's what's happening as well. Yeah, and I think that's a real, you know, real positive movement. And one thing that I do like about it is when you see the efforts to kind of share that knowledge around the globe, whether it's US advisors talking on social media to the UK, whether yeah. it's UK advisors through an organization like the CISI, mm -hmm. going to um, South Africa, South yeah. African advisors share yeah. coming back here. It's, yeah. it's a really nice way of sharing that. I, I suppose the question is, does that have a limit, do you think? Because it does feel that there's a lot of, for all the good side of the financial planning businesses, there is still an element of transactional advice in, around the world. Um, in the UK, at least, with the market I know the best, yeah. there's a lot of private equity money coming in, for yeah. example, which yeah. runs counter, I think, to these, this idea of life planning and doing yeah. that uh, fiduciary duty for your client. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a global community, and yeah. I think the global community attracts advisors who have the same sort of perspective and view on, on the client and, and what they, and the kind of impact they want to have on the client. And so I think the, you know, that, that movement I think is powerful enough that, mm. um, again, what we've seen is we've seen a transition. It hasn't happened completely, but from, you know, the fully transactional days, you know, 30 years ago to what we see today, we see holistic wealth management, um, financial planning advice, uh, you know, fee-based businesses that are that are really impactful to clients, and I think that that um, success is then translating into really the entire business starting to look at that in in, in a different way. Uh, and things like regulation, you know, in the 2012 yeah. with you know banning of commissions, um, we see it in in some of the bigger entities that have gone more towards a fee-based or fee uh, fee-only type of a transaction or type of a wealth management platform approach. Um, so you see big entities now kind of moving in that direction as well. And the reason is, is because I think the, the independent advisor who has done it with this sort of model has, has really succeeded. And they've caught the awareness of, of the bigger entities who have now had to transition their businesses towards something that looks more like that. So not only are the advisors succeeding with that model, but I think they've impacted the entire financial services yeah. space. And I think that's a really important outcome over the last 25 to 30 years. And, well, I think that's a really interesting angle as well on how that movement has had a knock-on effect on the commercial realities of the market as mm -hmm. well. And that relationship, it always gets mentioned uh, when someone invests in advice or when someone is announcing their results. It's always that relationship they value. Yes, yes. It's, and it's uh, you know, we call it the aha moment. I mean, when people hear about the story, they have that aha moment that mm -hmm. they just didn't realize that they could actually be in this space and do it this way and have the kind of success that they're doing, uh, that they are having, that clients are having and the businesses are having. So, um, you know, I, I certainly had that, that reaction when I first heard the story. Uh, I think there's really two parts to that uh, story. One is the investment part, and I think that's where Dimensional comes in, and we can chat about Dimensional's kind of approach on capital yeah. markets, but we're capital market experts. And then if you add in the client expertise from the advisor, if you put those two together, then that really does translate into this great client experience. But that's, a, that's an important equation uh, in terms of actually the su success of the client. And again, you know, when people start to hear that story in a really um, uh, sim simplistic way, they, they react to it very positively. And then they, obviously the experience of the expectations being set you know, each, each and every time they talk to their advisor and then having that advisor meet that expectation, 
that turns into a trusting kind of bond and a trusting relationship that uh, is really hard to, to shake, you know, from a, from a client uh, advisor relationship perspective. Well, I think it's really worth thinking about how those two intersect as well, the, that investment side, as you say, and the planning side. Mm -hmm. And one area that comes to mind with Dimensional is you, it's almost the infamous kind of training sessions that you mm, have. Yeah the courses, uh, what goes on at those? What's the purpose with an, taking an advisor yeah. into your yeah. world, as it were? Yeah, the, the purpose is education. So yeah. we fully want the advisor to, you know, in essence, kick the tires, learn everything that they can about dementia. And, you know, we, we view it as their responsibility to their clients. If they're going to make the decision to include a dementia portfolio in their client's portfolio, they have to be very confident that we are adding value and we're doing the things that, um, that they want us to do yeah. for their clients. So uh, we look at it as a great education. There's a, there's a big component of, of differentiation. Um, Dimensional story is an interesting one. It's an it's a intricate one. And when you look back at Dimensional's founding, you know, the, the founding uh, uh, board, if you will, were all the folks that were involved with indexing back in the 1960s and 1970s. So the idea of an index fund uh, and the first implementation of index fund was in the mid mid 1970s, early 1970s actually. Uh, and the folks that actually started the first sets of index funds uh, were the folks that actually started Dimensional as well. Uh, so what we truly try to talk a lot about in these in these conferences, these educational sessions, is is a differentiation between a index fund yeah. and Dimensional. And and the, the way I like to describe it is indexing is is fine from a of a cost perspective, uh, from a diversification perspective, tax efficiency perspective. So that's a that's a great platform. But what Dimensional does is then adds in uh, kind of daily implementation, flexibility around trading, and then precise exposures to the to the premiums in the markets. And so it's kind of an elevated uh, approach. So you've got the best of what you can get from indexing, but then you're adding in this uh, this flexibility and this trading uh, mechanism that adds value uh, to the end client. So uh, we always talk about the investment proposition. Every advisor has to recognize that the investment proposition is important. You don't want to just leave it just to indexing. You want to actually translate that into, into the 5 or 10 or 15 or 100 basis points extra return. And that, over time, compounds in a really significant way. So that, that's a, an important part of the advisor's offering. Yeah. But we fully want them to make sure they understand that differentiation and they can then communicate it to their clients in a really robust way. So I did wonder how that translated to performance last year. Um, obviously, it was a difficult year for investors, and that's where you often saw the, the problem with indexing, because with equities and bonds both taking, a, taking losses, how did you get that, those returns for your clients? And, and how did that impact on dimensional? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, the, the end of the, the day, you, you want, as an investor, you want to get the most efficient access you can yeah. to the capital markets. And that means, again, being diversified, being low cost, being tax efficient. All those things are great. There's going to be um, portfolios that focus on certain premiums in the market. So small cap is one premium, uh, value is another yeah. premium, and so forth. Um, the, the market premium versus fixed income. It's not that every year that equity markets can outperform fixed income. You know, we as investors get a return because there's risk there and that there's a volatility around that premium. So the premium in the market might be 4%, probably around that, 3 or 4% after inflation. Uh, but if you look at a year-by-year -year kind of a spread on dispersion of those results, it's going to be pretty wide around that 4%. Same thing with size and same thing with value. So 
Um, really, the, the advisor's role then is to basically do two things, you know, a couple things on the investment side. One is, is do what we just talked about, make sure that they have the best exposure possible. Uh, and if they get to come to the conclusion that Dimensional is the best exposure, they're going to use that with their clients. Uh, the second part, you know, is, is a really important aspect of investor success, which is discipline. You know, you're going to have years like, you know, you know, 2008, 2009, where the market, you know, collapses and you're, you're down 20 or 30 or 40 percent. You're going to have years where value underperforms growth stocks. You're going to have yeah. years where small caps underperform large cap stocks. And, and the important part is that the advisor and the client sit down, they think about what their allocation should be, uh, they start with a market portfolio, and then they argue themselves into small cap and value exposure for added premium. Uh, but they also got to understand that there's going to be these return dispersions over time that then lead to discussions around discipline. You know, how do you keep a client in their seat over different you know, periods of market returns? And that's the important part. So, so it's really important for us, again, advisors have the client expertise. Dimensional's coming in with the capital market expertise. We deliver these portfolios that are super efficient, access to the capital markets. But then the advisor uh, has that expertise and knowledge of the client. They have to decide on how much exposure to the market versus a T-bill where there's no risk or to size or to value that that client can actually withstand and stay in the portfolio for the long term. So, so one of the big uh, issues is just, you know, again, keeping clients focused, yeah, tuning thanks. out the noise and tuning out all the different activity and the, the newspaper articles and all this other stuff and keeping them focused on a, on a portfolio that's going to get them from point A to point B, and that might be over 10 or 20 or 30 years. Well, that, that's certainly something advisors tell us is the biggest challenge right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, we've, it's funny you mentioned newspaper articles because I think I saw um, some survey that that was the thing that annoys advisors the most about talking to their clients with mm -hmm. investments, that mm -hmm. they'll see a headline and want to change something based on the short-term news and having to explain that can be a challenge. Uh, I would also, the other issue right now is you're getting such good returns from cash and yeah. that's a real challenge for advisors yeah. if you're getting yeah. a, a cash savings of four, 4.5 percent, why would you put it, why would you right. invest it? Right, yeah I think that's right. I mean we, we have an advisor in the U.S. that he's got a line that says he has uh, people with investment problems, he does not have investments with people problems. Mm -hmm. Or vice versa. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's a that's a big question. Is again, it goes back to the the education and kind of history. Most people don't know what the historical rate of of uh, you know a, a risk free bond or bill is. Yeah. Most people don't know what the historical rate of an equity market is. Most people don't know what the premium of small cap stocks is over large cap. So a lot of what we talk about and, and do in these conferences, for instance, is really review the historical data on stock markets um, and what sorts of premiums are out there to be to be captured in the market if you stay in the market for a long, long time. So not only do we talk about the premium, but we also talk about the volatility and the yeah. spread around that premium. Uh, and I can remember early in my career going into advisors' offices and with, I had a one piece of uh, page paper from, uh, from Gene Fama and it had the data on value stocks, uh, it had data on, on the market versus the T-bill had a value versus a growth, and then size versus value. And each one of them was, were kind of in the 3 to 4% premium range, but they also had a, a standard deviation of 13 to 14% around it. So th the broad outcome for a particular year in any of those premiums is, is really wide. Yeah. Um, and that's where, the, again, the, the advisor has to be able to communicate and keep the client 
comfortable that the decisions they made around exposing their portfolio to these premiums is, is there and that they should stay in that market uh, for, for long term. To what degree do you then think that an advisor should be an expert in investments, in these you know, understanding standard deviation, understanding uh, maximum drawdowns, these kind of terms? Uh, yeah, I think it's important. I think, you know, I look back at my career, I, you know, I, I did finance in undergrad, I did my MBA in finance, and I hadn't been exposed to those kind of broad premium numbers mm. up until I got to Dimensional. So, you know, if, if you're going to try to be a successful investor, a successful advisor advising investors, you have to have a good awareness of these premiums and you have to be very confident and comfortable that those premiums are there for a reason and that there's a volatility around those premiums. And you have to find ways then to, through ske sketches and supplements and stories, and you, you have to be able to describe that to a client who might not be as engaged in finance yeah. as you are as an advisor. So one of the big aspects of being an advisor is that, is communications. You know, how do you communicate fairly simple uh, ideas that, are, that can be complex to a client? How do, you, how do you communicate them in a compelling way that's going to be engaging for them and that they're, they're going to be able to digest uh, fairly easily and allow them to have some comfort and confidence in the portfolio that they have uh, put together? That's a, that's a big equation for an advisor. Yeah, and a very big challenge to explain something that, as you say, it can sound simple when you write it down. Yeah. I mean, I find this if I'm writing about a fund or writing about performance, it's you, you boil it down and you think, oh, I understand this. And then you have four paragraphs. Yeah. You, can't, you can't publish that, right? No, because it's right. four paragraphs right. of explaining right. what volatility and how it's right. measured. Right. So it must be even harder when you're trying to actually yeah. explain something clearly yeah. to a client. Yeah. 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 We And we spend a lot of time thinking about that. I mean, you know, we always talk about my mom as a client. You know, how do I explain yes. these sorts of concepts to my mom in a simple way that's going to get her confident and comfortable? A lot of it has to do with, with confidence in the message. So I think to your, your question earlier, the advisors who really study this stuff and, and, and are confident in, in the data uh, that they see, and the data goes back 100 years, um, there's a confidence that comes around that that I think the client picks up and has a, uh, you can have more of a sense that they're, they're confident about their portfolio as well because the advisor's confident that this is the right approach and so forth. And, and again, there's some very simple, comp, very simple ideas. You know, I, I mentioned diversification, I mentioned cost, mm -hmm. I mentioned you know, tax efficiency. And then when you get into the kind of more complex things like the, the premiums in the market, um, the goal is to, to simplify those in a way that, again, can be digestible to the, to the average client. And that's a, that's a, 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 a big important part of, of the communication part of the advisor's role. Um, and, and again, one of the reasons why we don't work with direct clients uh, or directly with clients, we work with advisors because we do think the advisors play this role that's really important. They're an advocate for the client. They're an advocate to understanding the kind of the, the markets in a way that maybe clients don't and um, are great uh, communicators of those stories to their clients and keeping them long-term and disciplined in their approach. And how do you think then that translates, you know, to the wider investment market, where does Dimensional sit within that and some of the changes that are perhaps happening in that industry right now? In the, in the market? In, yes, in the asset management, investor world right now, obviously. Uh, for, uh, I'm talking very broad brush here, but the, 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 the active versus passive, the, mm -hmm. the, you mentioned costs there, the sort of pushing down on costs all the yeah. time. 
Where do, where do you see dimensional sitting within that? I think we, we sit in a really good space. Um, so these, if, if you look at active management fees, they've always been, you know, yeah. one to one to one and a half percent. Those have come way down, uh, partly because the, the data over the last, you know, 60 to 70 years suggests that there isn't a, a lot of value uh, from stock picking and, and kind of classic active management activities. So um, the question then becomes, does somebody willing to pay that kind of a fee for something that doesn't look like it shows up as an actual return yeah. or benefit to them? So you've got that. What you've, what you've seen recently now is you've seen a lot more movement to index. And if you look at the actual flows, particularly in the U.S., the flows into indexing um, just swamp uh, are way, way bigger than they, any flow to uh, active, uh, actively managed portfolios. And, and those are actually negative, the actively managed portfolio yeah, flows. Yeah, big outflows right And now. big flows into indexing. So that basically suggests that the thing, that what we talked about at the start is, a, is, is kind of where the market is. People recognize that cost matter and diversification and tax efficiency are important. Um, where we sit is sort of in the middle, so, so we don't go all the way to the indexing uh, stage. Um, we, we take the best of indexing, uh, you know, diversification, tax, efficiency, and uh, uh, cost, yes. and then we add in this kind of this implementation, this active implementation. So when we actively implement, we, we do it on a daily basis. We look at the portfolio and we trade the portfolio accordingly because our goal isn't to track an index. Um, we don't think there's a value add from tracking an index. We think we can get value from trading in a flexible fashion around something that's, again, diversified and, and, and beneficial to the client, but we can add some value on the edges uh, from an implementation perspective. So you look back at our portfolios, we, we have our longest running portfolio in the U.S. It's called the Microcap Fund. Uh, its benchmark is the small cap uh, Russell 2000 mm -hmm. uh, bench, uh, benchmark, um, and that's beaten the uh, uh, the Russell 2000 by 160 basis points a year for 41 years. Uh, that's a pretty significant track record. And it really is about um, implementing in a, in a flexible fashion, uh, avoiding uh, the cost of tracking an index, and then being very precise around trying to capture, in this case, a small cap premium. And so that value, that 160 basis points, if, if you look at a $100,000 investment, that translates into about $8.3 million over 41 years versus the Russell 2, which comes in about 3.9 million. Yeah. Uh, so it's a big, it's a significant amount of, 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 of value that comes to the client just by be carefully working around uh, the daily implementation approach that we, that we take vis-a-via uh, uh, vis index fund. Yeah, I mean, you did launch an ETF. Mm -hmm. How do those fit into that? Is that sort of ETF versions of your funds or? Yeah, yeah, so, so very similar. We try to price them similarly, you know, yeah. certain situations advisors like to use ETFs, yeah. in certain situations advisors like to use mutual funds. We've also launched a separately managed account platform in the U.S. that mm. I think will eventually be here in the U.K. as well. Uh, but in all cases, it's really about customizing the, um, the approach for a client and yeah. having s different tools that, that give the advisor flexibility to approach the client um, with a lot of different aspects of the financial plan. So it, it just you know, we want to ride alongside the advisor, make sure that we're offering them the kind of vehicles that, um, that they, they can use in their practice. The underlying investment philosophy, the, the, the cost, you know, everything else is the same. It's just two different vehicles uh, approaching the, uh, the investment in the same way. And do you think it will always be through an advisor? Because obviously one thing, again, I'm talking in broad strokes, yeah. so, but you, you hear this, democratization of investment, particularly yeah. through ETFs and 
owning all these, these stocks. Mm -hmm. uh, and do you think that's ever a market you would be interested in? Or is do you really think the advisor side is necessary for investors? Yeah, we're, we're big advocates for the advisor. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a key, key component of our business. Um, you know, the ETFs are public securities, so they are available in yeah. the public domain. But when you look at our business, the vast, vast majority of, of any ETF assets that we've gotten have, have come from a financial advisor. So uh, prior to launching the ETFs, we, we had many, many conversations with advisors and recognized that they were not only using mutual funds, but they were using ETFs in their practices. And so their request to us was that, you know, to, to move forward with yeah. an ETF type of an approach. And um, come September 2019 in the U.S., there was an ETF rule, they call it, and that allowed for customized baskets. So the the implementation approach that we had on the fund side, we were then able to do in the ETF side, and we were able to add value vis-a-vis uh, -vis an indexed ETF approach. And so we never launched it when it was, was when it potentially could have been an index ETF. We waited to launch until we had this ability to, again, customize baskets and trade in a way that was going to add value vis-a-vis yeah. uh, -vis, uh, a, a classic index fund. So again, staying with the theme of differentiating dimensional versus an index fund, uh, that was an important part of our launch, and it's been been really successful, but the bulk of the assets, you know, 95% plus have come from financial advisors. And we think the the advocacy role that the advisor brings to the table for all the things we just spoke about, the discipline, the communication, the development of a portfolio, and then all the other holistic wealth management activities that they now add into the equation, all of that stuff is super important for the client to get a great experience uh, on the uh, financial side. And what then do you think the future holds in this market uh, for you in particular? Obviously, one thing we're hearing a lot about is the rise of AI. Can AI make portfolios more efficient? In a way, it feels like Dimension has been doing that for years anyway. Mm -hmm. But are you interested in developing around this? Or where do you see that fitting in in the wider yeah. wider industry? Yeah, I just had a chat with our co my co-CEO, Gerard O'Reilly, yeah. who's, um, who's on our investment side. And he, you know, we, we use AI in a lot of different ways already yeah. with, with our trading uh, platforms and mechanism. We don't use it to predict markets or predict yeah. the future. Uh, so the idea that AI is going to somehow add value to an actively managed uh, stock pick in the future, we don't, we don't believe that's the case. We think markets work really, really well. Uh, when we say markets work, that means prices reflect uh, all information. Um, and we, buy, we believe this idea of price reflecting that information. So we think the prices are fair. And we, we then go about building a portfolio with the idea that, that prices reflect uh, the value of the, of the particular security at that time. Um, so, it, you know, uh, David Booth, often, our, our chairman, often calls it accumulated information you yeah. know, rather than artificial intelligence, accumulated intelligence, which is really the market saying, here's the price and the security. Um, but I do think on, on the advisor side, I think that's going to be a question that comes up in, you know, it's going to be in the newspaper and how does this going to affect yeah. us? I think the, the important part is to, to have some answers to, to clients to recognize it's, it's out there. It's going to be part of your daily life. It already is. It's been, been part of your, your life for 10 or 15 years when you look at you know, all the different uh, mechanisms that are out there in the AI world. Um, so that's going to be part of it. But I think, it, it, again, you've got to take the client back to what is it that's really important to your, to your not only your investment outcome, but also to your financial uh, kind of holistic wealth outcome as well. And I think where we're going in the future is I think advisors, when I look at the U.S. business, and I think it's the same here in the U.K., 
when I started, it was just investment only. Yeah. And you, you charge a fee for that investment portfolio. And, and what we've seen transpire is we've seen all of the, uh, the other holistic wealth management activities being added into the equation of advice. And so that means, you know, it's charitable giving, it's tax planning, it's estate planning, it's, um, you know, it's, it's uh, college education for your kids. All of that becomes part of this holistic uh, discussion with the client. And I think that's a really important part of the business and where it's going to go. So we're going to continue to see uh, kind of a deeper and more intimate relationship between advisor and client. Part of that is going to be investments. And in our view, having an investment uh, portfolio de developed by a, by a firm like Dimensional, I think, is, is going to put the advisor in a really good position on the investment side. And then you move out of the investment proposition, you go to the wealth proposition, and that's where advisors, you, you, you see, is they're starting to do more and more on that side to be, uh, to be more, um, again, more integrated into the financial lives of the client. And it's important because I think it, it leads to the, the stickiness and the glue uh, for a long-term relationship. And yeah. I have an advisor myself. Um, I was my, about to ask, actually. Yeah, my, my, so my, I've had my advisor for 25-plus years now, and... You know, uh, he does all of that stuff for me. He's, you know, I've got four kids and, and a wife, and and we talk about everything from college education to yeah. ch ch charitable aspirations, et cetera, and, and, and that's part of the equation. So I think that relationship is so intimate and is so broad It's and so important to me uh, that I can't imagine actually going anywhere else. Um, and so I think there's going to be a stickiness that develops, a continued stickiness, beyond just the investment part and into all the other aspects of life. And I think, you know, again, um, clients appreciate a very robust, you know, wealth uh, solution. And I think once, once advisors are able to deliver that, then again, that leads to referrals, it leads to growth in business. Uh, and we see that over and over again. If you look at our, our benchmark studies, that's pretty much it. If you can, if you can deliver that right, right experience, then and deliver a uh, get a referral program in place that's formal, then the ability to grow the business uh, uh, goes up exponentially from there. Definitely, and it's really interesting you mentioned your children there because that is something we are really seeing in the mm. UK at the moment. Uh, I actually I met an advisor the other week who had basically attracted some new clients because their old advisor wasn't listening to their children. They said, yeah, oh, yeah, the children yeah. don't have enough money, so we're not interested. So yeah. it's in, it's, it is a whole wealth planning thing that needs to include yeah. thinking ahead. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that's, a, that's another big kind of uh, leg to the future, I think, is really the second gen succession planning. Yeah. And I think it's succession planning, not only for the advisor, they have to find the right employees uh, and, and next advisors that are going to take the reins of the business and, and run with it. But then there's the client aspect as well. There's you know, most of the clients uh, that have have gotten wealth and who have, have aged a bit, um, you know, they're going to have kids that are going to be involved in some some way. So, um, the whole succession planning within the advisory business, and then the the client planning, you know, having a formal program to try to integrate kids into the discussions, into the uh, conversations, I think is important. My my advisor does that with my son. I mean, he's yeah. you know, they talk about college educational. Um, uh, items and they also talk about just investment items as well and he, he does I think a, a, a quarterly call with uh, with my son just to get him participating in in this approach so it's a smart move because you know again a lot of us are not going to be around forever so there's gonna be a next gen that actually has interest in this and hopefully the advisor 
has had enough interactions with the next gen in the family uh, that, that when the time comes there's a shift in, in the wealth or there's a change, then uh, that, that uh, younger generation will say, you know, been with this client, been with this advisor for the last 15, 10, 20 years, and, and they've been great, and we're going to stay right here. Yeah. Well, that seems like a nice point to end on, Dave. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gerald. Appreciate it. <laughs>